This week on Trek Mary Kill. Spock's brain controls? Next! You've got him on complete life support. Was he dead? Jim. Come on, Bones, what's the mystery? His brain is gone. What did you do with Spock's brain? Brain and brain! What is brain? This fellow is keeping us from our property. Go away. You must not take the controller away. We will all die. Nerves, there are a million of them. What am I supposed to do? I can't remember. He's dying and I can't stop it. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a Star Trek podcast that gives pain and delight. This week, we're celebrating the 55th anniversary of one of the kookiest episodes of not just Star Trek, but television itself, the medium <laughs> of television yeah. that's ever been produced. It's Spock's brain. The season three premiere of the original series. <laughs> wow. A deep and abiding sigh. Yes, that is the first reaction to Spock's brain. I feel is appropriate. Uh, it's generally considered to be the worst episode of the original series. Uh, just awful. I was, I was unaware of that <laughs> before I watched it. And then I read through your show notes. And I was like, aha, because I was going to have a lot of questions because at the, the last episode, you said it's a classic. And I was like, OK, well, I haven't seen it, but uh, we'll we'll see. And I was like, oof. I really do like doing this show, like running the episodes through the show filter. This is effectively what. Uh, people were saying Sub Rosa for Next Generation was. It was their Spock's mm-hmm. brain. And oh, maybe okay. there's a couple of other um, nominees that we'll get into. But you want to talk about big swings, Kristen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So Spock's brain, literally Spock's brain is is missing. It's been stolen. I'll get into all the details of the episode itself, but to set it up, how do we get here? This is one of those things where if you were doing a show about the making of Star Trek and you started off the episode with Leonard Nimoy sitting down and opening the envelope with the script and out comes Spock's brain and he makes a face like he's going to throw up, then you would do that whole the cut to black and it would go two weeks earlier. (laughs) Yeah. Can we can we set the stage, though? It's September 20th, 1968. Over your summer break, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. (laughs) Looks like we're headed for a Nixon presidency. The Vietnam War is raging. Everything looks like it's falling apart. And then you turn on the National Broadcasting Corporation and you want to watch your favorite show. And this is the fucking horse shit (laughs) you're given. Now, I can watch it now and it's funny. But in context, that shit is not funny at all. 
I've been like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? So I'm relying on These Are the Voyages, which is a series of books about each season of the original series that's formed around a bunch of memos that uh, the author was able to obtain on his way to doing some other like re- recording project or archiving project for Gene Roddenberry, this author's name, Mark Cushman. Um, and so I, I think I found that this is somewhat controversial over the years, like some of his conclusions, uh, his commentary, um, as kind of pissed people off, but effectively he's going off of memos that he has uh, from Roddenberry's records, uh, sh- you know, shooting schedules, that kind of thing. So maybe his version of the events are a little, you know, it's one-sided. It's whatever uh-huh. material Gene Roddenberry had. But it kind of goes down like this. Season three of the original series uh, comes about after Paramount has purchased Desilu. They knocked down the wall between Desilu and Paramount. And I got to tell you, going and looking at old pictures of what used to be Desilu just blows my mind because I'm like, that was Desilu? Because all the stuff I thought was Paramount was actually Desilu, like the corner oh. of Gower and Melrose, that's mm-hmm. that globe. That was Desilu. I didn't know that. Oh. Uh, so Paramount was this rinky dink operation, which now it's start, everything's starting to make more sense about what Paramount's all about. <laughs> they, they basically Zasloft a beloved product um, and, and somehow have survived persisted to this day. But one of their edicts, once they took over, as we discussed with our guests last week from ship full of jerks, was that Paramount actually cut their contribution to the episode per episode budget. It wasn't NBC cutting their licensing fee. It was Paramount saying, we're not going to pay as much for this show, so you're going to do budget cuts, and we have a Paramount rule that you shoot episodes in five and a half days. Okay. So from the production company side of things, studio side of things, Roddenberry and Star Trek was facing an enormous challenge in a show where everything is created from scratch. You know, it's their own world, and everyone's pay, you know, the cast get pay bumps each season like they were they were getting less money to make the show problem one problem two was that gene coon who had effectively transformed star trek into what we know it to be today was a speed freak and was burnt out because it turns out writing star trek is incredibly difficult and that's on top of television writing being an incredible incredibly thankless job when especially in the days before any sort of rooms and you're basically fielding freelancers and you're rewriting a bunch of people different assignments and you have all these weird studio pressures and of course you're addicted to speed that's the only way you can get your work done mm-hmm. gene ronberry had handed the show over to him in season one he got burnt out midway through so that was midway through season one he got burnt out midway through season two so ronberry kind of sort of came back in season two and then ronberry promised that he would come back for season three. And then according to the Scushman book, NBC screwed him on when, when Star Trek was going to be scheduled. They were promised like one plum time spot and time slot. And I think like literally laughing or something wound up just as a temporary thing filled in in the time spot. Star Trek would eventually be promised. And the ratings were so great there. They were just, they were just like, no, we're not move, We're not doing the time move. And so Roddenberry like rage quit. You know, just like, well, I'll show them and uh, and left everyone in a lurch. So you've got those two elements conspiring to create a situation where then Fred Freiberger is installed as the showrunner or executive producer of Star Trek. And that guy's like used to producing like just regular TV, like on budget, on time, basic story stuff. 
not something kooky like Star Trek. And so what you have is a potential for disaster. Spock's brain is kind of the result of those forces working together, but also in order for uh, Gene Kuhn to get out of a Star Trek deal, he had to have another job for himself. And he went to go do this other show, but he promised Roddenberry he'd do six scripts for season three, but he did it under this pen name, Lee Cronin. Uh, that's a pseudonym so that he didn't get in trouble with the other show he was technically supposed to be working on. So that's why we season three is generally considered to be pretty terrible because you have, uh, you know, the great bird of the galaxy. You have the heart and soul of the show effectively stepping away and being all pouty about it. Uh, and also his sexual politics, as this episode seems to reflect, there might have been some uh-huh. stuff hurtling in his personal life. Who's to say? <laughs> yeah, you also, who's to say? Yeah. You also had the sharp, clever mind of the show step away. And then you had a guy come in who didn't know what this show was. But I have to say this, Fred Freiberger, the executive producer, was interviewed for this book called Inside Star Trek, The Real Story. And in that book, the executive uh, for in charge of production of the show, I think for Paramount or whatever, and Bob Justman, who is a producer on Star Trek, like the working producer, they both defended Freiberger's tenure in Star Trek, citing what I just said, like Roddenberry pulled away, the budget was cut. And Freiberger even says like, and I just did the scripts they gave me, like 15 of the 22 episodes that they did in season three were ones that I inherited when I took over. Um, But here's the main quote. This is my long windup, and then we'll get into the episode itself. Fred Freiberger's quote, my ordeal in a German prison camp only lasted two years. My travail with Star Trek has spanned 25 years and still counting. Jesus, motherfucking Christ. Okay. The real Holocaust was Star Trek. Getting paid to work on Star Trek. Yes. So there was quite a lot uh, behind how we get to this episode, which was not like some random kooky thing necessarily pulled out of thin air. I'll get into that in just a second. Just real quick. Like I said, written by Lee Cronin. Spock's Brain aired September 20th, 1968 on NBC, as Kristen mentioned, with all the world historical events going on. It was directed by Mark Daniels, who had already directed uh, 15 other episodes of the original series. And this would be his last one, Kristen, because he's like, (laughs) I am not going to tolerate the budget cuts and the direction of this show. No, thank you. Another thing I failed to mention was that this, by this point in the show's production process, Shatner and Nimoy and even a little bit DeForest Kelly had become absolute monsters. Like they were the stereotypical, we are the stars, we are catered to us and throwing temper tantrums to get what they want and just being very difficult because they knew they could. Yeah. So there was that. Mark Daniels was just like, forget this shit. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, Memory Alpha describes Spock's brain as an alien lady invades the Enterprise and steals Spock's brain. Kirk McCoy and a landing party beam down to a planet, Sigma Draconis 6, in a desperate race to retrieve it. There there they discover the men have been banished to the surface of an ice-covered world, while the women have been brought underground where the society has been regulated by an entity called a controller. And it needs a new brain every 10,000 years to keep society running. I didn't even mention that McCoy and Scotty rig Spock's brainless body <laughs> come along with them on the journey, but that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Kristen, do you remember the first time you saw this episode? 
No, but I I don't think I'd ever seen the whole thing, but I do remember certain clips and um, screenshots and GIFs and everything else. So, (laughs) yeah, like the remote control Spock is looked very familiar to me. So my first exposure to this episode, I didn't quite know it at the time, was on The Wonder Years, the TV show Ah. show with... uh, now we know in the 21st century, piece of shit, Fred Savage. Um, but, well, he was a child at the time, so maybe he yes. was not a piece of shit yet. But they did a like a little homage to Spock's brain, particularly because uh, Kevin is, um, that's his name in the show, right? For some Kevin, reason, I yeah. just flashed on Kevin McAllister. But anyway, um, so they do this whole thing where the pain belts that the women, uh, Signa Dracona 6, put on all the men, uh, when it causes them pain and he thrusts his hands out and they all collapse. And so I remember that first as the first thing I saw. And then literally the second thing I ever remember about this episode is the clicking of remote controlled Spock walking yeah. and thinking immediately like, what the, as I was like maybe 12, what the hell is going on? The Wonder Years was not the only place it appeared in pop culture. Uh, Fish has a song called Spock's Brain. I'll never know because I'm never going to listen to Fish. No, no, <laughs> nor should you. <laughs> Uh, And then in a book called What Were They Thinking? The 100 Dumbest Events in Television History. This was ranked as number 71. (laughs) They redid that list today. I think it'd be tough to cram in. I don't even think it'd make the list. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) It has a lot of elements that uh, Lee Cronin, Gene Kuhn, he stole from other episodes of his. Kind of too many to mention, but to me... I. brings to mind like that which survives about an ancient underground civilization and like a controller brain. And then it also reminded me of strange new worlds lift us where suffering cannot reach where a society in order to continue to function needs a, you know, a new brain every, every so often to keep things running smoothly. Chris, and I bet you didn't know this because I didn't know it, but you're smarter than me. So maybe you did. Um, This episode was inspired by, Something a really big idea that was going on at the time, uh, a big dramatic moment. Uh, organ swapping was a hot topic in uh, 1968. Okay. The first heart transplant was as recent as December 3rd, 1967, in South Africa. I'm reading now from These Are the Voyages book. The patient died within 18 days amidst controversy in a media circus. More transplants were attempted throughout 1968 to the outrage of some religious groups. And then that's when Star Trek seized on this idea that, hey, we can one of the things that we've learned over the last couple of years that people seem to really respond to our show talking about tomorrow, today, Um, much of the he's quoted as saying in a memo, much of the recent groundswell of interest in Star Trek may come out in the fact it is the only, quote, tomorrow drama in all of television. Our entire nation is becoming increasingly engrossed in what the future holds. As I pointed out, one can hardly pick up a newspaper or magazine today without finding an article on what we will be doing in this or that field tomorrow. So this is actually remarkably very similar to what a lot of procedural shows do today. You know, rip from, not just rip from the headlines, but sort of like, what are your parents worried about this week? Kind mm-hmm. of news <laughs> gets yeah. kind of put in there. Cyberbullying. So then your CSI does an episode about cyberbullying and all those kinds of things. Like, so this is a, a it's called, I, I don't remember what the actual room term is, but it's like the idea area or what's your like 
headline of the week or your topic of the week that you're going to explore. And a lot of these procedurals just flow within that system uh, of things like, oh, diet soda causes cancer. Well, let's do an episode about a serial killer killing through cancer or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they just do shit like that. Um, and so this is somehow Spock's brain is a, a part of that heritage. <laughs> Uh, tradition tradition that's better to say yeah uh and that's that's wacky that just makes the episode wackier uh i'm gonna say that that's one of the three craziest things in this episode uh, chris and i asked that question in the notes did were you able to come up with just three crazy things that stood out to you in this one um there's so much it's hard to narrow it down <laughs> just the three but can we talk about how um somehow this civilization can reproduce when they've separated the men and the women. I mean, that didn't make any goddamn sense. Um, the men live above in the, yeah. The men live above in the cold and the women live down below where it's, you know, where everything's taken care of for them and the air is clean and there's food and all that, but they, they reproduce because they lure the men into that elevator oh, cave. Yeah, and then they, true. they put the pain belts on them and then they give them, uh, pain and delight and the women can only can only uh, control the men through pain and then delight <laughs> mm-hmm. i guess that's true the the tradition thing was was one of the craziest parts of that ep- of this episode to me just the the number of times they mention they say spock's brain so many, i stopped writing them down because it was too much and but it was very funny to me they say it 15 times spock's okay. brain <laughs> <laughs> and so this episode is at its heart a B movie. And if it was not for the fact that we know these characters and they're playing to some very familiar beats and they're all recognizably themselves, you know, it's like it's right at the, after season two. So that, you know, Shatner hasn't fully bloated out like he does later in season three. Like everyone looks like themselves and acts like themselves. I think that's what helps get you from beginning to end. And then I got to say the third craziest thing for me, for whatever reason, was just the women dressed like fembots. Yeah. The go-go boots stick out in my mind. (laughs) The go-go boots are, and that (laughs) is going through the Cushman book. Like that's, that's of course an idea that was some version of that idea was broadly suggested and Roddenberry seized on it. He's like, yes, these women should be, uh, ex- incredibly beautiful and like that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, quite a lot going on in Spock's brain. I have some <laughs> specific thoughts, but if there's anything else you want to interject here. Uh, no. All right. So I'm going to run this down real quick. In his 2008 autobiography, I don't know how many autobiographies Shatner's written now. He's William Shatner has written many autobiographies. Uh, but in this one, up till now, in 2008, Shatner jokes that the plot of this episode is, quote, a tribute to NBC executives who had slashed the show's budget and placed the show in an undesirable time slot. We'll see. That's a conflation of history because it was Paramount that cut the budget, not NBC. It was the time slot that NBC did do. And there's certainly in season three, there was an episode that Shatner was set to direct and then the show got canceled. Uh, And it was about like TV's influence, brainwashing. And I think there is some element of the TV controlling your brain, like the controller, literally, you know, uh, that there's just like one box that that gives everyone the ideas that teaches them 
Um, I think even Spock being controlled by a remote, the brain being controlled by a remote is kind of a, an, on that idea too. The episodes that Mark Daniels directed, worth pointing out because uh, a prodigious director on the original series, The Naked Time, Court Martial, The Menagerie Part 1 and Part 2, Space Seed, Who Mourns for Adonais, The Doomsday Machine, The Changeling, Mirror Mirror, I Mud, A Private Little War by Any Other Name, and Assignment Earth and Spock's Brain. Uh, except for Spock's Brain. These are some stone cold mm-hmm. classics. So. The authors of the guidebook Star Trek 101 applied this episode's title to the Spock's Brain Award. So I guess maybe it's like uh, given to the worst episode of each series as voted on by the fans. The recipients were from the animated series, The Lorelei Signal, from TNG Genesis. Genesis? That's yeah. surprising. <laughs> I don't know about that. DS9, Profit and Lace. We already killed that one. Uh, Voyager, Threshold. We'll be doing that one later this year or later this season. And Enterprise series finale, These Are the Voyages. Uh, they all got the Spock Brain Award. And then this is the last note I have to read because it's very funny. From Wikipedia, Leonard Nimoy wrote in his book, I think it was I Am Spock. He wrote, frankly, during the entire shooting of that episode, I was embarrassed. A feeling that overcame me many times during the final season of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Oof. <laughs> all right. Shall we get to the grades? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great scenes. Please, Kristen, go first. You know, when the whole crew is just flailing about, when the lady gets beamed aboard in the first, <laughs> like in the cold open, I was just howling. <laughs> but an actual good scene. I think the part when everyone, well, not everyone, but most of the crew is on the bridge and they're trying to decide which planet to go to. And they're going on the pros and cons and they're talking it out. And I like that scene because you got basically everyone in the cast had something to say that wasn't just I, Captain. And so I enjoyed that um, because you don't get that in every episode at all. Yeah, I thought that was a great scene, too. I also like that they had the projection. It was the first time that they had. For season three, they had installed a rear screen projection so that they Mm. could actually interact with the view screen. So that was kind of what they were showing off also in that in that episode. Um, And this this is all a Roddenberry idea, too, to have the graphic, the planets on the screen. I totally agree with you. Also, it gives Uhura like the idea. You know, Uhura is the one that helps Kirk reach his decision. You know, why would they want Mr. Spock's brain? That was great. I kind of I did like the scene before or shortly before where where Kirk goes to sick bay and McCoy explains it to him. I think I, I think it's a great scene because <laughs> for one reason alone where he goes, it you know, Spock's brain is gone and it does that musical sting. <laughs> and then Shatner dismounts his brain, but he mouths yeah. it. It was such a weird choice. Um, and I just think the whole like they're discussing what's going on and like, well, even if we do find his brain, which could be hard on its own, how do we put it back? We don't even know how to how this happened. We have no idea. Yeah. So I just kind of like that. They these are like legitimate actors being given a load of several trucks full of shit and they're playing it very straight. And it's and I thought it worked enough to kind of get you to go with what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yes, that scene where they're all working together to figure it out, I thought it was I thought it was good. I'll, even though I'm not a fan of Chekhov, but whatever. So. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> all 
then when they get down to the planet and then they go below, they go down the elevator ride um, and they stun one woman, but then they get knocked out by another woman. When they reawaken, they're in the, I don't know, the, the room with the Luma and Kara. Kara's actually the leader. And, uh, and Kirk's demanding to see the leader. That's when we lead about the controller. Uh, I think it's such a silly scene, but again, they're playing it straight that I think, I think it's great. Is, is it the scene where we get brain and brain? It's the scene where we get brain and brain. So brain, <laughs> brain and brain. What is brain? It's just, Oh my God. <laughs> um, but even before that, so the scene where the cavemen are throwing sticks and stones at the crew, I watched it with my husband. We were dying. Like <laughs> that whole set is so cheap. And also when they go underground, the set is made of like crinkled paper that's been spray painted blue to make it look like a glacier. Yeah. Like you can tell there's been some budget cuts. I mean, <laughs> and they still try to do it. You know, I, I give them credit for that, but like that is tough. And like mm-hmm. the very unfavorable, they couldn't do the trick they do now, which was just shoot it all in the dark and no one will notice or whatever. Cause you couldn't <laughs> shoot. <laughs> they actually had to have lights on set. I think we're having to dance around that. This episode's incredibly misogynistic. Oh no, <laughs> it's coming later. Don't worry. I got, yeah, I got plenty. Well, well, to the point where it's making it hard for me to say like, there are great scenes here, but I, I kind of want to, make it clear that while I'm watching this episode, I'm also thinking like, you know, this is basically if you took the best writers on the show and you told them they had to write this as well as they could, that you're getting the best possible version of the story is what I was. The only thing that you're kind of probably missing is like, what does Spock learn from the ordeal or what does Kirk learn from, you know, being separated from his friend or doing somewhat the impossible there's maybe some comment, more emotion that could have happened between this detachment, the the men above and the women below, and this the society that became so so super powered because of technology that they became so lazy they forgot how to live, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like those are like things, other slight directions they could have gone in as well to weave back into the story, but otherwise it's like they sound like the characters. There's still some clever lines in here. There's dramatic tension, or at least decisions that lead to conflict that has has to be resolved. It was very bizarre. All that said, that's why I'm like of two minds about like one of the last scenes. Uh, It's when Spock or when McCoy begins the surgery, when he gets the, he gets the teacher to tell him how to put Spock's brain back in. (laughs) And then as they're going on, like Scotty's just sitting there going like, Oh wow. We, yeah. (laughs) He's behind the curtain watching Spock's, brain being put back together then like that's gross okay it's like if you're not used to seeing that it's gonna be like whoa and then kirk kind of pulls kara aside and he's he's like of course you realize now that we we're detaching spock's brain which is your controller now that you're gonna have to like figure things out for yourself and we'll help you. And she's like, but what about the surface? And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. Nah, don't worry. He's like, just telling her, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But he's also like, we'll help you. Uh, and and then that's that whole scene has uh, Scotty calling him back over to the to the surgery area. And he's like, Captain Kirk, he's forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> and then McCoy realizing, what the fuck am I doing? No one yeah. can restore a brain. It's such a weird scene, but it's like, oh, this is all like legitimate drama. I don't like Kirk brushing off all of her concerns. 
Yeah, but like, it's kind I don't of, know. We don't know how to do anything for ourselves. We can't even filter our own water. Eh, it's fine. But we'll be too cold up there on the surface. Eh, I mean, he's he's essentially sending these poor women up to be beaten and raped by these giant cavemen. <laughs> that's, that's right. And he's just like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, yeah, but if we can't control them with the pain, what do we do? Eh, there's other ways. Not yeah, really. You'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Like you're these girls are have have like absolute shit for brains, and they're just good looking. And you're just gonna send them up to the to the cavemen, the giant cavemen. By the way, I I guess it's a great scene pointing out what the fuck is going on in this episode. It, it really drives home that Kirk's rushing through a speech he's given before, but about people he's cared about before. Here he does not care about these people at all. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> It's so weird. All right, best Trek tropes. Um, I got some red alerts. Okay, yeah, red alert, red alert. Uh, hot Kirk. lady appears. <laughs> hot lady appears. Yes, the go-go boots. I don't know. Um, Kirk playing a hunch, and the wow. anti-violence perspective because um, she's like, "You won't. You hurt one of our women when he stuns them off the elevator." She's like, well, you won't, we won't permit that again. And Kirk's like, hey, sorry, we don't want to do that. Um, I don't know. I just, I always like that Star Trek, even as they do violence, are like, well, I don't want to do it. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> I had to. I was. Yeah. I had no choice. Um, also, they call for security in the cold open and the red shirts on the bridge are the first to be incapacitated. They get ripped. Yeah. <laughs> just bam. Yep. They're taken prisoner. Sure. Yep. Uh, and then hot women in go-go boots. I got again. We have a Sulu log, not a real trope, but I liked it. And then um, Captain Kirk karate chops a caveman in a fight. Yep, we got multiple captains logs with Spock's brain in the captain's log. Very funny. Yeah, uh, I'm. I guess I'm stealing one of yours then. Ohura does the homework. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which we already mentioned, but she was the one that kind of puts it together. Like, but why are why do they want Spock's brain? And of course, one of my favorite things about Star Trek is that Shatner or sorry, Kirk and Uhura, they're like, she gives him all of his best ideas and she's, you know, he's very loyal to her. She's very loyal to him. And it's like, if she hadn't said that, he was like, right. Hmm. This changes the entire, my entire thinking about this. Also, I think if, if they had had her on the, um, away party there, um, I think shit would have gotten taken care of a little bit faster. That's true. I'm like, listen, ladies. Yep. <laughs> Don't listen to them. Um, here's what's going to happen. Yep. Worst Trek tropes. I'm going to say women as second class citizens. Yeah. I put these broads are really dumb. <laughs> um, it's stated over and over again. Well, these women couldn't engineer something like this. And then like, well, they, she has a mind of a child. Don't waste your breath even speaking to her. But everyone on the planet, they don't explain why the men are stupid, though. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, they said that the, the planet, well, I thought it was because the technology had gotten them so advanced. They were basically all a bunch of lazy buffoons made dull by not having to work. And then, I don't know, the, then the controller probably realized, well, we got to get these baby men away <laughs> and separate them. And then, yeah, it's exactly what you said. What are the women going to be walking back, marched back into in this situation, yeah. why would they leave? Why would Kirk say, of course, you'll have to leave here and go up into the surface? 
Why? Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, any other ones? So, during the surgery portion, when then McCoy's trying to put the brain back in, we get two captain's logs from Kirk. And I'm wondering, when the fuck did he have time to do this? Because it's like, <laughs> and now McCoy has forgotten everything he's learned from the teacher. And we're furiously trying to put it all back. Like, did you just go like, hold on a second. Yeah. Let me just... Um, that is yeah no that's a great one oh that's fantastic i hate the logs that are something where there's no possible way you had time to record that as it was happening and it's spoken as if it is a narration of what's happening instead of a reflection on what happened most of its time quality. I'm just going to throw in there. The visual effects are incredibly yeah. of its time. The compositing such as it is. Uh, I mean, at the time, this isn't, there's no computers. So uh, there's a podcast that talked about this, but like a, a person, I think it was a woman. She would hand draw all these effects in at, like oh, wow. over like on cells. And then they put them into the compositing machine. Um, and so this is all like the the remastered edition didn't change very much of that because there's a lot of photographic elements in there, like uh-huh. when um, the woman appears on the bridge. Uh, so I'm just going to point that out, though, because even though there is a remastered version of this episode, which includes like an ion ship that looks alien, the Enterprise, you know, space shots, not not the uh, planet shots. They didn't uh, upgrade those. Um, What about you? So Spock in the beginning when he's in like that little MRI machine that McCoy has him in on the Enterprise, he has this gold mesh head bandage mm-hmm. that can't possibly be utilitary, but um, it's beautiful. <laughs> and you wouldn't <laughs> they see don't that make again. those gold sashes no. anymore. Yeah, no. Um, I like that the idea there's like some gold mesh thing in the future that can help heal your wounds or or something. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what are they called? The Kate, the kinetic tape or whatever. That yeah, exactly. Tape on themselves that probably don't doesn't do anything. Right. Uh, it's it's um, placebo effect. Um, all the set design on the planet, the costumes for the cavemen, and obviously the costumes for the women and the go- with the go-go boots. All right, now is the time where we talk about it. Women are dum dums. Yeah. And and they only they only like big tall brutes. So what's mm-hmm. going on with Gene Roddenberry here? He's a successful television producer, former pilot, former cop. Don't forget that. Yeah, well that's and the, there you go right there. He's going to he's also a big tall guy though, so it's not like a short man's complex thing. And he's going to Hollywood parties in the hills. It's the 60s, free love's going on. He's getting older though. Mm-hmm. So he's seen a lot of like young women he wants and he's seeing that they only seem to want to be with the big, tall, dumb guys, but he's the smart guy. They don't want to be with him. That's the read I got either that or Gene Kuhn. Same thing. It's like, yeah. Even well, here's, he's like... here's the problem. The women that he was meeting at these parties by and large, probably did not need to fully depend on a man for their room and board they probably had a job or some other some kind of income they're probably actresses models or whatever like maybe it wasn't very steady but it wasn't a situation where they would be you know destitute or whatever you know they weren't living hand to mouth 
And so he probably doesn't didn't have the social skills to impress these women, even though he had lots of money and was successful and all that. I don't know if I buy uh, incel Gene Runberry. Incel is just like, <laughs> there are probably some women that were like, I'm out of your league. Like, absolutely not. Oh, that I, yeah, for sure. That makes sense. And then he would just say like, that, like, that oh, woman. Oh, oh, but oh she'd rather be with Johnny Unitas than with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he, she's dating the, you know, the starter for the Rams or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, Steve she is. That I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's this Tom Selleck fellow guy that I don't have? <laughs> but there's definitely something going on for sure in that department. Yeah. That they're just a bunch of dum-dums. Yeah. But that is by and large the problem with um, men today. We're like, I don't understand why I can't get a woman. And that's usually it. But that's they don't yeah, they don't need you for a room and board. That's why. <laughs> so you need to develop your social skills. There's actually like a whole article about it. I think it was in Psychology Today, based on like actual research. So you're saying like cryptocurrency and gaming systems and inflection points and disrupting. That's all a bunch of nerds, losers chasing an old way that we've tried very hard to move away from. Um, well, I don't at least know that's about some part that. of it. Just, okay. I think, yeah, I think the, well, the, the, the incel part of it is like, first of all, none of those guys would have had the social skills or the manners to get, you know, a woman, like a respectable woman, even back in like the 1800s. So I don't know yeah. what they're talking about. Like if you read etiquette books, which I have from like written at the time, there's no way these guys would have had, had, like there was rules. Like you could, if you dance with a woman at a ball, you couldn't go say hi to her in the street afterwards. I didn't give you the right to do that. If you did that, it was considered like, oh my god, this guy is crazy. She could say hi to you, but not the other way around. And like, there's no way these guys would have like gone by any of those rules. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. I yeah, I've written, I've uh, read all the these etiquette books from contemporaneous sources from like the Victorian times. It's fascinating. Well, Gene Roddenberry pretty famously treated a lot of people disrespectfully, uh, quite mm-hmm. a lot of people disrespectfully that he worked with, worked for. Uh, it strains credulity to suspect that he was able to silo his professional life from his personal life. And when you have, you know, a war veteran, a pilot, uh, cop, these are all the ingredients for a God complex in a personal mm-hmm. life. And so it just seems like there, you know, he was very open about what he did too. I, I don't know why I know this, but like, apparently at one point he told somebody he was talking loudly enough that somebody heard him telling a story about the time he learned that you could give a woman a terrible infection. If you start with anal and then, and then move to missionary. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's like, why is he saying that at work? But also, you know, the, taking the madman part of it is like, okay, that comes up. But also it's like, this uh, is, this is what he is. Did you know? Like, yes, exactly. And you're, not, you're not supposed to go ass to mouth. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so, know that. I never <laughs> thought about it before. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> like he's telling them like, Oh my, this girl got an infection or like, she was like, Hey, no, you can't do that because 
Ugh, it's probably the first no. one. Uh, well, I hope she got her anal pap smears. Because <laughs> you can get anal cancer. That's what um, Farifasa died of. I didn't even know that you could get anal pap smears. If you are receiving anal sex unprotected, well, even if you are doing it protect, like you should, with any frequency, you should get tested for HPV. No, oh, sure. And, and gonorrhea and syphilis and all that stuff. Yeah. This has been Sex Ed Check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the very end, I'm just going to sign off with remember to get your anal pap smears, everyone. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Oh, brain and brain. What is brain is one of the greatest lines ever written. As far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> well, the first one I wrote down is his brain is gone. <laughs> Dawn. Yeah. And then take him where it's search for his brain. They are definitely putting some English. Like if you're if you're throwing a pitch, they're de- on brain. They're definitely going for it. His yeah. brain, his brain. <laughs> yeah, it's, basically, anytime uh, they say Spock's brain, it's a great line. It's very funny. Jim, where are you going to look in this whole galaxy? Where are you going to look for Spock's brain? <laughs> are you going to find it? Yeah, Captain's log. We're we've been following the Iron Trail, the spaceship that has Spock's brain. Come on! <laughs> I stopped writing him down after that. So like, there must be something else because I can't just fill the whole paper with brain talk. I regret that I didn't, honestly. Ohura, what would they want with his brain? What would they want with Mister Spock's brain? <laughs> what use is it? <laughs> Captain's log. We are beaming down to a primitive glaciated planet in the Sigma Draconis star system. Time left to us to find Spock's brain. Eight hours and twenty-five minutes. This is yeah. so good. <laughs> I'm Kirk, what have you done with Spock's that. brain? Where have you taken it? <laughs> there she is. That's the one. What have you done with Spock's brain? <laughs> oh, can we also talk about how he doesn't, he can't d- differentiate any of the women? They're like the same <laughs> to him. Like, there she yeah. is. That's one. And then like another one. Cause like, oh no, no, no. It was this one. This one. Well, uh, Kara looks very, con- very concerned or confused. And Luma looks very worried. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's <laughs> Huh? Uh, yes. Captain's log. Immediately after making contact with Spock's brain. <laughs> That's because brain? we didn't, if you're just listening to our episode, not watching it, they're able to pick up Spock's brain waves on the communicator. So that's how they're able to Yeah, talk it comes to through it. the communicator. <laughs> so stupid. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot of what have you done with Spock's brain? <laughs> McCoy, we just want to talk to somebody about Spock's brain. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you no harm. Oh, and my God. So the, the thing I had Kristen or you know, the thing that Kristen said at the beginning, one of the greatest Shatner mannerisms that goes with it, uh, when they're talking about the controller, and as you can see, McCoy's like, Yes, a controller, like a computer, like a brain. And then Kirk interrupts him and he goes, Bones, Scotty. Spock's brain controls. <laughs> he does that hand wipe. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Ship's log, Lieutenant Sulu recording. I am holding the Enterprise in orbit about planet Sigma Dracona 7. Captain Kirk's hunch that Spock's brain is on the planet appears to be correct. <laughs> How does Spock's brain fit into this? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my god, those are those are the best ones. Uh, but then Doctor McCoy is proceeding to restore Spock's brain in a desperate hope that he can draw on Spock's brain for assistance. <laughs> okay, I've gotten it all out of my system. There are other great lines we're talking about, but uh, Kirk, who are the others? Givers of pain and delight. Do they live here with you? No, they come. They give pain and delight. They say come yeah, several times there. I'm like, we got it, Gene Kuhn. You're getting away yeah, with uh, it. Yeah. I mean, when they, walk- they, come, they come, no no thanks to you guys. But <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> imagine an entire civilization of women who can come on top. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> when they walk into the cave elevator before they know it's an elevator they see the tools that the women have laid out for the dumb men to like as a lure for the dumb men to find <laughs> and kirk's pointing to him and he goes metal forged tempered our apish friends didn't make these <laughs> Just <Yeah. can't> <laughs> it's like comic book writing it's hilarious uh, and then when the elevator starts and they all lurch because it just drops real fast, McCoy's line, call Chekhov and tell him to send my stomach down. <laughs> that was good. And then Spock, when when they're hearing his voice over the communicator, Captain, there is a definite pleasurable experience connected with the hearing of your voice. I'll bet it is, Mr. Spock. This gets right back to the Spurk conversation we were having last week. If you don't pay attention to the uh, slash fic, which Star Trek helped really create which exists in, even into this day in even creepier ways if you're a fan of the TV show Supernatural. But it's, you know, Kirk and Spock being romantically into each uh-huh. other is, you know, a thing that a lot of people, especially queer people, have picked up on and cheered for. And the show, it's in the text of the show, though. So it's like, it's just always yeah. funny when it pops up. Maybe that should be a best Trek trope, is Spurk. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Any other great lines you want to add in there? Or just want to say um, brain a few more point, times? Um, <laughs> so when McCoy was going to put the stupid teacher thing on his head, but Spock was like, no, nah, you can't do that. He said, I cannot allow you to jeopardize your life for me. That's very Spock, I guess. But he did it anyway. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. You know, both the acting questions grades here. I'm, I'm at a loss. And so I yeah, insist you I go didn't, first. I didn't, I didn't put anybody because... This was a bad episode. Um, so there, I really responded to that. Everyone is playing it straight. Like all these, yeah. this is not, this is not the Elysian kingdom. You know, this is like, everyone is acting as though it's real. They're not winking, which they could. It's super easy to do that. You know, especially when you've, you've got, you're throwing around lines of givers of pain and delight which is all yeah, Roddenberry I mean, sees so women. Everyone's as. playing it straight. But at one point I was like, at what? I was like, when did the Harlem Globetrotters show up? Yes. It's very silly. So, uh, so I guess, I guess I'm going to get, this is so stupid. I'm going to give it to Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. I'm going to give it to Leonard Nimoy because he is you're like, oh, that's Spock and not like and Spock doesn't do anything. You know, remember in Iron Man three, when the suit reacts to something that Pepper says when Tony's not in the suit and it's supposed to just be a joke because 
it's just it's just funny the suit is already sort of mimicking his mannerisms but he doesn't uh-huh. he's not doing that so it's just kind of doing a thing he's feeling and it's a funny joke but it doesn't like make logical sense you could have very easily done that with robot spock a remote controlled brainless spock where spock is reacting somehow to something that's commenting on what's going on Instead, they just cut to him when he's sitting there stone-faced and all this ridiculousness is going on around him, which to me is actually very funny. But he, you know, you could, you, I'm sure if it was a lesser actor, you'd see a little twinkle in the eye of someone mm-hmm. being like, I know this is shit. So he's not doing that. Also, I don't know, is it a Shatner or is it Nimoy playing Spock in a heightened Harlem Globetrotters episode where when... McCoy needs his help and he prioritizes reattaching the vocal cords. Then he does that, ah, um, yeah. <laughs> he does that ridiculous <laughs> throat clearing. <laughs> and then he goes, that's better. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm going to give it to, I mean, it's about Spock's brain, the episode and the, the way they were able to convince Nimoy of it is both putting his brain waves over the communicator so that he could like help them and have some of the ideas that was the big thing. Like Shatner always, Kirk always had to lead the action and often had to have the ideas, but so did Nimoy or as Spock. They're always bitching to the writers about that. Well, Spock's not doing anything in this scene. So here's an episode where Spock, where Nimoy is not doing anything. So they gave him that. And then they made it all about him. He said, they pitched it to him as like, well, what if there was an, uh, an idea where like someone wanted to steal Einstein's brain? Like you look at that title and you know what it means. So it was appealing to his vanity kind of thing. Uh, so I can't believe what whiny babies everyone was back yeah. then. I don't think it's much better today. They you get paid more money. Stomping, stomping around going, I don't think I don't like that I'm not in this episode more. <laughs> I, it's hard to say. It seems it, it seems to me he's like, I get time off. Great. See you later. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> got like, a kid to raise. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm only on set three days out of this week. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's really hard to say. I mean, I think both of them came from, you know, for both of them, they were struggling before they got those parts. Yeah. And so I think maybe there's just like they've got the thing now and they're going to take every bit of it that they can. Honorable mention for Anton Caridian, when when uh, they're all being knocked out aboard the ship with the neutralizer and they cut to sickbay. And everyone starts passing out. I'm giving it to Majel Barrett as Nurse Chapel when she passes out and she bounces off the bio bed and then flops to the ground. She hits oh, it really yeah. hard. She doesn't. She hits the ground really hard. She doesn't react. Like ah, that fuck that hurt. <laughs> I didn't take that. Yeah. She did her own stunt. Uh, she dropped the T service for some reason that she had as a nurse. But uh, I, so I honorable <laughs> look. Mention. She has two two jobs. <laughs> That's right. She's so good at her job, unlike the Nurse Chapel in Strange New Worlds, that she can be trusted with a tea set <laughs> in addition to her regular duties. All right, the Shatner. I've... Well, um, you know, we got a lot we got a lot of people to choose from on this. <laughs> I mean, William Shatner is having a moment, several moments in this episode, mouthing his brain <laughs> the years that the brain's been taken the way oh, he waves flailing about yes the... with the actual pain from the yeah. the belts uh, uh, yes uh, i mean the oh the, the hand wave when he goes spock's brain controls uh-huh. <laughs> chatter is the chatter this week 
but two honorable mentions. One, the musical stinger after McCoy says to Kirk, his brain is gone. Yeah, we can get, I think we can give it to the music cues. <laughs> yes, uh, it was a new Fred Steiner came in and recorded new music uh, for this season. The the flutes were a new addition. The do 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 do. That was a new little cue that they had there. And they had a couple of other like a Jeopardy music. And then obviously the dun dun dun, the Star Trek version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honorable mention number two. I almost gave it to James Dewan as Scotty because all most of Scotty's line in this episode is just them cutting to him and his stupid gelled back hair. And he's just like going like, Oh my goodness. Then this, the line where he goes, I've never seen anything like it. He's operating at warp speed. (laughs) That's, that's an objectively that's right into your Harlem Globetrotters assessment. (laughs) Yeah. I heard you guys needed some help with some brain surgery. (laughs) Yeah. What part of this episode will they teach at Starfleet Academy? <laughs> Brain surgery. Sigma Draconis, that I don't know if this is um a compliment or not, or or if this means anything deeper than, hey, look, we we've read some Star Trek planet names, but Sigma Draconis seven or six pops up uh in Strange New Worlds quite a lot. It's one of the like star systems and planets that they put on maps randomly or like whenever they're showing Federation space or something like that. So probably they're teaching how did Sigma Draconis become part of Starfleet or become yeah, part of well, the Federation? <laughs> well, uh, we had to at one point rescue all the women <laughs> and that's, what's going to happen. I mean, I don't see how this is going to go. Well, you have a bunch so they, of people with stunted brain power forced to live on their own. Yeah. I mean, it's Idiocracy in Waiting, right? That movie? Yeah. I mean, I assume, like, the men have found sexual comfort with each other. But then they're going to find that, oh, there's other other beings. Just be careful. You can't go one to the other or risk an infection. <laughs> Remember to wash. That's right. Get your HPV vaccines, everybody. That's right. If there's one takeaway from this episode. It's mm-hmm. And there's a new hepatitis vaccine out there if you haven't already been vaccinated. <laughs> could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? Okay, it could have been so much hornier. Like, she, like Captain Kirk could have been like, well, I can show you how you can control a man. <laughs> Just step into this bedroom right here. <laughs> Allow me to make a demonstration. <laughs> for you and all the ladies here yeah i think the the implication we just see one of the women sort of uh just feeding the big brute you know we kind of just get the vague outline of what they use the men for and we don't get to see any suggestion of that so it could have been hornier would that have made it better Uh, yeah i don't know about that Well, I think if you did that, you would have probably had less time to spend having it, making it very clear that these women are fucking stupid. Yeah. Sorry. If you would have focused, if they would focus more on, okay, these are these women who control these men through these various ways. And one of them is like through sex or and pain or whatever, instead of they're a bunch of idiots. Like, 
I don't know. I, I don't know why the idiot factor needed to be so strong. Yeah, and then trying to balance out, oh, the men are idiots too, and it's like, eh. It doesn't make any sense that the men are yeah. idiots if they had to fend for themselves for a, allegedly 10,000 years. Yeah. And they're still like, I don't know how to forge a sword. We just sticks and stones. But they know how to hunt and like make clothing. I don't know. Right. The whole thing is very stupid. <laughs> what does Joe Namath have that I don't have? <laughs> what does Broadway Joe have? <laughs> that Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry doesn't. doesn't. Hmm? <laughs> 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 trying to think who else was a big star in 1968. I feel like Bert Lancaster or something. (laughs) 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 Top box office stars of 1968. What does that Paul Newman (laughs) (laughs) have that I don't have? (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) But yeah, it's it's Sidney Poitier, Paul Newman. Sean Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Dean Martin. <laughs> Just a bunch of big lugs. Yeah, they don't have the Lee, brains. Well, I'll give you that on Lee Marvin, though. Yeah. <laughs> Trek, marry, or kill Spock's brain. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I feel bad about killing it, but, I, cause it, but it's very bad. I, I The only point I will say in this favor is, like, this is a like if you wait to watch this episode after you've watched Star Trek for many years, let's say, and you get to this one, there are objectively worse episodes, harder to like get through than this one. Yeah, I this think. wasn't hard to get through. It was it, yeah. I was a blast to watch it. But again, I, that's in hindsight. If I had watched that shit as a premiere, I would have been furious. <laughs> I'd be like, well, they ruined my show. I'm gonna turn on Rap Patrol instead or whatever. I kind of want that to be a question later. Would this episode have pissed you off initially? Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the answers are gonna be yes. It was also like a Friday night premiere. It seems very much like of a kind with like the like you stayed home to yeah, watch exactly. your favorite show. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm taking it from like that perspective of a teenager, not like a grown adult, I guess, because I think it was mostly popular with like teenagers, right? No, not or not exclusively, because there was like the college I know, not exclusively, the, but well, you know, the like college younger, segment, younger like, groups and like men mostly, like young men mostly, mostly, but not yeah. Well, with the Leonard Nimoy Spock thing, I'm not sure of the demographics how it all breaks down. To be honest. That might have been in this book. These are the voyages. I'll have to go and check. Uh-huh. But yeah. But um, yeah, I would have been furious. Perfect. Uh, perfect. Because it moved to Friday nights for season three. Kind of a uh-huh. perfect episode for the boys who were stuck home because they couldn't get a date on a Friday night. It was like, oh, yeah. Ma- oh, yeah. This, this would have been no comfort to them, I think. <laughs> Although Wait, maybe, even like, in the future. I have <laughs> pretty girls. <laughs> So you're killing it. I don't know. What are you going to do? I was going to give it a light trek, but you know what? At the end of the day, the the misogyny, it's kind of fun just to talk about of like, yeah. was Ronberry going through like a, a, a stretch of impotency or like his first bout of it? And he was really feeling it. Um, like what was going on there? Something, there was something else uh, 
driving this episode beyond the whole transplants are a hot topic right now. So. Yeah. What does that Warren Beatty have? <laughs> I don't. Major Barrett just having to listen to him. Go like, okay. He's like sizing everyone up. It's like, no, you can't. Like, wow. <laughs> All right. So I think we've agreed that it's a kill, but varying degrees of kill. Like this is a, I'm not going to save you kill. <laughs> yeah. This is a Batman on the train. It's a Ra's al Ghul. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to travel to Deep Space Nine and play Trek, Mary Kill with part one of Star Trek's very first three parter. That's right. It's the season two premiere of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars there or write in your Spotify app and wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Trek Mary Kpod, and trekmarykillpod.com is our website with all the links to our guests' shows and anything I actually remember show notes-wise to include. Uh, and also you can see the standings and all the grades, how many Treks, Marys, and Kills we've given out for each show. So until next week, TMK out. Bye. Bye.